Welcome back. You're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. And I apologize for the hiatus. The show hasn't been on for a couple of weeks now. My life's been a little busy with moving. My family and I moved about a mile and a half further west towards the ocean here in San Francisco, as well as keeping tabs on the boat during all the storms, the wind and the rain that we've been getting here in California. I've been down at the boat quite a bit, checking the lines, making sure the rigging was all in place, and I did have, unfortunately, some sail damage, and that's a bit of an understatement, uh, but I will tell that whole story another time. Today, I'm talking about a new book that I just read, talking with the author, Susan Cole. Her book is Holding Fast, a memoir of sailing, love, and loss. Susan, her husband John, and her daughter Kate, and their dog Elmo all went cruising in the 90s, taking off from the East Coast, from the Northeast of the United States, and headed down to the Caribbean. They spent about three years aboard, and it was a life-changing experience for her and her whole family. And the book is a wonderful telling of this time in their life, but more than just that, Susan really recounts her whole love story from meeting and falling in love with her husband to his death from cancer after the fabulous trip that they took together. It's a touching book, and I was really excited to talk to Susan about the story and about her life. So without any further chatter from me, let's jump in and listen to the conversation. I'm Susan Cole. I uh, sailed for I've sailed for over 30 years with my with my late husband, and we took a three-year what turned out to be a three-year voyage where we left everything behind and took my seven-year-old daughter out of school and just sailed south from our home in Connecticut, and that's what my my book is about. Yes, and I'm so excited to talk to you because I just finished your book, Holding Fast. You reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this new memoir. Would you be interested in reading it? I have to say, I've picked up a lot of sailing books, a lot of memoirs, and oftentimes I make it through the first chapter and then say, all right, yeah, I'm sure they had a grand adventure, but I can't make it through the rest. This, your book really gripped me all the way through, and it's not just about your sailing adventure. You really cover a grand expanse here from meeting your your late husband to learning how to sail with him living aboard boats and then taking off with your daughter and then all the way through to his his death which you write very movingly about what inspired you to write the book to sit down and and capture your memoir well when we came back from our voyage uh, i guess it was a couple or so years after that that i found myself just uh, I, I took some writing workshop or something where where we were living, which was Florida at the time. And I just found myself writing about it. And then I just couldn't stop writing about it. <laughs> and somebody told me about the um, Iowa Writers Program. So I started to go there. I was working, but I started to go there in summers for workshops, which really helped my writing. 
it was a while before I thought it would be a book. I wrote some essays and so on. And initially it was in my mind, a book about this, this grand adventure that we had, cause it was just so transformational. And, my, and then my husband got cancer and passed. Then I really had some urgency about finishing it and realized of course, that it was actually very much about our relationship and our love story. That's, that was my motivation. That's wonderful. And it really is a love story. The book opens with you meeting John and you come from quite different worlds. Talk a little bit about those early days. And, and John was, I understand the one who brought sailing into your relationship. How quickly was that part of the relationship? Well, very soon I met him at work and we were each married to other people to, you know, we both got married very young and um, we were married, you know, to the wrong people, <laughs> but we became um, friends at the office. There was a, a whole group of young, of young project directors. So when we would gather, you know, in each other's offices, he, he would always tell these sailing stories. And I had, I was from Ohio. I, I went to college in New York and that's how I wound up on the East coast and Connecticut where we met, but he was from Connecticut, but uh, I had never sailed. I'd never been on a boat other than a rowboat. And I just was so drawn in to the the sailing world from, he's, he also was a really good storyteller. <laughs> I was just drawn into that world. Um, and then after we got uh, together, which was a few years uh, later, he proposed that we buy a 48 foot original 1903 Fire Island ferry boat to live on. Huh. Um, he had sailed. Uh, it, 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 it originally took passengers from Bay Shore to Fire Island. Uh, he had sailed all his life in Long Island Sound. He'd sailed from the age of four. He just like loved sailing. He was so on land. He he could be really stressed out on the water. Uh, there were certainly moments of stress, but he was so happy on the water. Just just his whole being was really happy. I, I could just see how much he loved it. We began sailing with some of uh, you know some of our friends. I came to love sailing with him. Then he began to introduce this lifelong dream he had. R really, it's kind of from the beginning, he introduced his dream of sailing away. I thought it was very romantic. I didn't take it very seriously initially, but that's how I got, that's how I got into sailing, to totally him introducing me. And we had a lot of, um, as, you, as you might remember from the book, we had a lot of near catastrophes, uh, certainly on, on, on the um, ferry boat which eventually, after five years of living aboard, sank. So <laughs> all of our stuff on it. <laughs> um, yes, you had a lot of adventures even before you cast off the dock lines while you were still oh. just living aboard boats. Yes, we had. Yes, we did. And we learned a lot, you know. Um, John's, John's captain's hat at that time was a... Um, those old jester, those jester caps with, with legs and bells at the end. Yes. And, and <laughs> we'd come to port. You know, eventually, after all of our near crises, engine failing, steering cables failing, we'd, he'd, we'd make it into the dock and we, we'd, John would step aboard the dock and say, cheat death again. That was our, that was our sailing experience. <laughs> That's <Initially>. wonderful. <laughs> and you mentioned that you didn't take John's dream of, of sailing off seriously and and there were parts of you that even as it became a reality you write about not truly understanding or believing that you were actually leaving that you were actually going to leave your your life on land at that point you, you were in a house 
and head off. Talk about that pull, that push pull. Yeah, it you know it became increasingly clear. Um, we were at that point in our forties. We'd had it. I finally got him off boats. We lived aboard after the ferry boat sank. We lived another ten years on a a beautiful, but again very old and and rotting sailboat. <laughs> and finally, uh, with all these deck leaks, like I I I prevailed and got him in a house. And I really loved that um, that that life. You know, having a, a community. Once we had Kate, we uh, and and she began to go to preschool and so on. And we had uh, John's sister also lived nearby with her children and grandchildren. So I really, and I had been living in that area by that point since I went to college. So we had college friends and work friends and, you know, all that. I felt really rooted. And as a child, I had lost my dad at a young age. And after that, I did not feel rooted at all. It was a really good feeling for me. I I loved gardening. We always had a boat and John was always, you know, every weekend was working on the boat or we were sailing. So it was clear to me that sailing was, you know, an important part of our lives. So the books on his side of the bed are piling up about cruising. And we finally decided, you know, we're going to look for a boat, not like our old rotting wood boats. We're going to look for, you know, a really well-found boat that can sail the ocean. And still, I think it's partly my personality, but I was still kind of in denial that we were actually going. And so we, we go around looking for boats. We went to Fort Lauderdale. Then we um, saw a boat right in Connecticut, where we lived, that we loved. It was a Mason 43, and we, we couldn't afford it. It was too new, but then we knew that that was the boat that we'd want to go off on. And and like I said, even 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 then, I was thinking, well, it's going to be a long time. I, I somehow didn't face up to it until the last few months. Also, my own terror of we, we had very little experience sailing at night. We 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 actually didn't, you know, that just wasn't something we had done. And I was terrified of that. John wasn't too happy about it either. And and it seemed like, well, gee, if we go offshore, we're definitely going to be sailing a lot at night, you know? So again, I just kind of pushed it away um, until we had to, to actually face up to that as well. What was was the adjustment like then once you actually did get aboard? I I accepted it um, in some ways, and it was a struggle in, in some ways. We started slowly because we, we started really late in the season. It was winter uh, or almost winter, late October by the time we left Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had no intention of sailing offshore anyway because we didn't have that experience. So we went down the waterway, which took you know months to into stopping in all the little towns. So I, that really was kind of a, a shakeout period, I guess. Um, and we, and I, but I kept expecting, because I'd read about cruising, that there were all these communities and, uh, oh, we'd just been meeting so many other people. But we were late in the season and you know we just stay a night in in the in the different little towns so i didn't appear to be any any real community <laughs> so that part wasn't meeting my expectation and then as we're getting to florida our fear is rising about going offshore and so then we were in florida we outfitted the boat for a while and again it seemed you know again we had that period to get used to it because we needed to get a bimini and i mean some some kind of basic thing so it it, it took a while until I had to actually face that we were going to go offshore. <laughs> and then I want you to talk a little bit. So you were going to go offshore and cross to the Bahamas. Yes. Um, which uh, clearly has become a place that is special to you because you just returned from a trip to the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, I love the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. But um, but but at this point, 
as you mentioned, there was a lot of fear and you, you had, you had the fear of crossing the Gulf stream of having to sail at night. Tell a little bit about that story that you write about um, so yeah. vividly in the book. Yeah. So we, we decided, okay, you know, we'd read about it. We, we, we got, we like got so many, we got so we overbought on spares. I mean, when <laughs> we got this, this hose for our, um, so we could pump out any water that, you know, that, that came in. And we just got this gigantic hose that was like enough for a high school or something. <laughs> and the clerks were, the sales clerks were making these little comments to John and he didn't really care. He wanted to be, you know, as cautious and as prepared. And we just kept getting more and more, you know, taking another CPR course. And finally we thought we just, you know, we just have to go. <laughs> you know, we think, you know, we, what more can we do? And we, so we, we, we checked the weather. It looked like it was going to be okay. Um, we had read about, should we leave in the morning or very early morning? Should we leave, you know, at night? There were different, different schools of thought on that. Cause you have to get to the, the Bahamas at, at that time. Anyway, it was eyeball navigation. You had to get there so you could see the coral and the Harbor entrance and had, the light had to be behind you. <laughs> Just all this stuff we hadn't really dealt with before in sailing in the Northeast. So, um, we decided, okay, we're going to leave it at midnight. You know, we get all ready and we're, we're on the boat and we're starting to pull out. And our neighbor, um, who was British, you know, ran over to help with dock lines. He, he said, where are you going? And we said, oh, we're crossing the Bahamas. And he said, oh, I hope your trip is smoother than the one we had this afternoon. And so John and I continue to pull out. We don't even look at each other. We're doing our regular stuff. And then we get to Government Cut, which is this big channel in Miami that all the all the big ships use and you know this is how you get out of the this, this huge harbor and we look at each other <laughs> both of us are like shaking because we had thought the weather would be nice and you know but, but this guy he planted the seed of doubt and it, but it wasn't just him it, it didn't take much to plant a seed of doubt for right him. you were already in a state <laughs> of, of of concern <laughs> beyond concern it was close to panic <laughs> <laughs> We're heading out. We're getting out. There's nothing, nobody in the harbor. It's just black, except for the the red and green markers. So we were going past the markers, and you know, there's getting less and less more. You know, it's twelve, then ten, then eight, and then we 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 look at each other, and John said, "Do you want to do this? <laughs> do you think we should really do this?" And I I didn't want to make that decision myself because he had done so much to get us to that point. From you know, from getting the boat to studying everything, he rewired the electricity. I mean, he just did everything to get us to this, and it was his his dream. So I wanted him to make the decision, and then he just turned the boat around, and we headed back, back to the the marina, just so like ashamed and disappointed in ourselves that we weren't brave enough to head out into this black void because <laughs> once the once the markers ended, it was just black, and <laughs> it was actually terrifying to us. You know, that must have been that must have been really tough because there's this dream in front of both of you, you know, John's dream, and and he's prepared so much, and then come to this hurdle. Um, does did it feel like at any point did you think, well, well, that's the end of it? We're we're packing it in. Well, the next morning, John woke up and he's muttering. He's like pacing and muttering. And he said, How are we gonna cross oceans if we're afraid of the dark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So like our dream 
And we realized our dream was beyond our experience. We'd never sailed offshore. And then the British guy rushes over and says, oh, what happened? You know, John just said, engine trouble. There you go. (laughs) He wasn't going to talk about it. And he decided to call call, um, this guy Cliff, who we knew from Connecticut, who was a licensed captain. He was a, he, he delivered boats. He had put, he had installed, he had an electronics business. He had installed our automatic steering, the self-steering. And um, so we called him and he flew down. Uh, we made the crossing with him and it went really well. The interesting thing related to the writing is that there still wasn't a, 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 just an amount of shame involved that we weren't, we thought we'd sailed for so long. We'd lived on boats. John had sailed his whole life. We should be able to just have done that. So in writing it, in the early drafts, Cliff wasn't even in the drafts, or, he, or if he was, he was just like vaguely referred to. And mm. it was in a writing class that um, the instructors noticed this guy and said, well, well, who's Cliff? And I said, oh, you know, he's just helping out. And so he said, well, was he a friend? You know, was he hired? And I said, well, you know, we hired him. <laughs> so I said, well, he's got to be in there, you know. <laughs> and still, it was just hard for me to acknowledge that. Um, but of course, you know, it's much more honest to say what really happened and to, and to say that we were afraid and which was, you know, the truth <laughs> that to be, I was trying to present us as like these heroes of the sea, you know, <laughs> I'm really glad that you did put in the, those details. I, I respect a lot having the fear. So you yeah. had the sense to say, we're not experienced at this yet. And we need more experience. We need help until we do have that experience. Yeah. And eventually John and I, you know, this was after our voyage, but the first time that we crossed ourselves was, it was actually after the voyage and we crossed to the Bahamas and I was just dancing with glee. And John is, John is more like, God, it's about time. (laughs) But but anyway, yeah. How wonderful that you had, that you had the opportunity to go back and do that passage after you had all these experiences together sailing through the Caribbean. So you mentioned that Kate was seven, your daughter, when you took yeah. off. And, yeah. and and you also mentioned um, that as you were going down the Eastern seaboard that you weren't finding that community that you had heard about, read about, and were hoping for. But I know that from reading the book that Kate did make friends quickly and in a lot of different ports as you traveled south. There there weren't kids in every port. Um, and at that, we left, we were, this was in the mid to late nineties before the internet was so prevalent. And so we couldn't just, you know, hook up with people, depended on, you know, finding people where we sailed. When we moved aboard the boat in Annapolis, John John and um, and Cliff and and my nephew sailed the boat from Connecticut to Annapolis, and that is that's where we moved aboard. That's kind of where I think the voyage started. Although for John, it started you know in Connecticut, but um, we moved aboard, and there was another family living there. So Kate made friends with uh, this little girl who was about her age. Uh, it's it's the first time I, I I kind of got a sense of boat kids where. They, they just play under the trees or at the beach and find shells and explore around the water. They, they weren't watching TV or doing that kind of thing. That was kind of nice. I think people are always interested in what you do for schooling with kids and cruising. It's become much more, accept- homeschooling has become much more accessible, especially after a pandemic and a lot of people 
choosing that route. But what did you guys do? So we, I did some research and it looked like a lot of cruisers were using the Calvert um, system. It's a school in Baltimore sure. that mm -hmm. I think it, it's actually a school, but it also has this, this, on this program. Um, it wasn't online then it was books, but, and it was for cruising kids or actors or, or kids like who are moving around. And they had had, you know, I, I wasn't at all an educator or never wanted to be. So I liked that it had these you know, a block of 20 lessons and you could sign up and have a real teacher, you know, comment on it and maybe develop a relationship with the child. That's what we did. And actually, it, it turned out to be pretty boring for Kate. Uh, math, math turned out to be to be a whole other issue. So we always had these these spats about, you know, we'd start school, it would just be fine in all the other subjects. And then we'd come to math and she wouldn't do her multiplication tables or, you know, something like that. And I felt I should be very strict. And after a while, we just, um, we just, we didn't do it every day. And she was learning so much else uh, just from navigating, help, you know, helping us navigate and stuff like that. So what would happen is we'd get through maybe, she went through second to fourth grade um, homeschooling. We'd get maybe three quarters of the way done. And then every summer during hurricane season, we would go back for about a month or so to Connecticut to, to visit with relatives and friends, and she would just pile through the rest of the lessons and get her get her certificate from that grade. Mm. But but she also wound up doing a lot of reading on her own, writing. John rigged up a a, a bosun's chair on our halyard on the main halyard, and he, and she would just swing from bow to stern, really for hours. Because sometimes you know there, there there wasn't anyone else to play with, and she would just kind of be in the zone there. And she said she got ideas for she was writing a novel, and she which she did write you know, at nine. And so there was things like that that was pretty, actually pretty cool, you know, that came out of that, you know, the experience. When you talk to Kate about that trip, do you know what her main feelings about it are or recollections are? Yeah, she, um, and of course, at the time, she, you know, a lot of it was boring and it was third world countries and she missed going to the malls like her friends in America, you know, and that kind of thing. That was during the voyage. Yeah. But um, since then, she has really, well, for one thing, she's become a world traveler. She's just traveled everywhere. She's very comfortable with that. And she really values the experience, just how, you know, the um, the time with us, you know, we, we, you really do form a, a special bond with that and our dog who was with us. Uh, just all that she, you know, learned from it and people we met and um, she she appreciates it a lot now. One of the things you write about, and I know this is skipping far ahead, but was at the end of the voyage, sending Kate back to school and her surprise at how more independent she was than the other kids, I think is what you write about. Yeah, that was, um, it was really a miserable first year back. We had had so much freedom. And then we came back, we, we decided to go back to Florida. John really didn't want to go up north again with the, the rat race. And uh, we were working on our own so we could really you know, work from anywhere. And, and we got used to the warm weather, but we didn't know anybody there. And uh, so we moved there and we thought, well, she sh we should get her into a, a small school so she gets individualized attention. And her school, it was small, but it had all these cliques of kids that have been together. This was fifth grade, the last year of the lower school. And all these kids have been together, you know, like since kindergarten. She was the only new kid that year. And then she thought, 
oh my God, they're not even crossing the street by themselves. They're such babies. <laughs> and, and they didn't want to eat lunch with her. And and she didn't see it. And I would, I'd pick her up and, you know, I'd be I'd trying to tell her, oh, it's going to be okay. You know, you'll, you'll make friends. And she already actually even had made friends, but she was just feeling miserable about it. And she would just say, no, no, it's not going to be better. Our fantasy was that the people in Florida would love the water. I mean, it just, just seemed, you know, it's it's mostly, there's such a large coastline and we lived right on the water. However, most of the people who went to this school lived in interior suburbs. The water was okay, but they didn't necessarily even, even go to the beach. Mm. So um, it, it was just, a, they, it was a different lifestyle and they didn't even understand what we had done. They didn't want, they're very protective and they didn't, um, want their kids to come play on our boat. Even it was at the dock, but they were afraid they'd drown. And only one kid could play on the boat. <laughs> so um, we were still living on our boat for the first year when we were there. So, and this is after Kate had been taking the dinghy around with her friend in in Guatemala. And I, you met back to community. You yeah, did find a, a community that you really loved, and you spent quite a bit of time in in Guatemala. Well, the other part of that is you, without John, he was on a trip, weathered a pretty fierce storm while you were there. But talk about first about finding that community and 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 what that meant. The first time we were exposed to a, a sailing community like that was in Isla Mujeres, where, well, I guess we'd already been to the Bahamas and Cuba. But in Isla Mujeres, there, there, were, there were so many sailors who had come up from Panama or down from the States or over from Europe. And a bunch of them had kids and uh, they had their own, their own channel. That was the first time we ran into, um, you know, the, the, the cruisers net where the, where the crew, where, where, you know, some cruisers had initially started it and it was kept up by whoever was in the Harbor where you could exchange information and introduce yourself. There were potluck dinners and, and, and people were just so interesting. Like I remember this pair of guys, these really heavy beefy guys, from Texas, and they called themselves the heavies. They they did that the deep sea robot stuff. One of them had invented it. Uh, you know, just really interesting collection of people. And, and a lot of them had already been to the Rio Dulce, which was our dream to go to. We'd read about it and it was so lush and beautiful and with, you know, monkeys and and, and red-tailed hawks and all this. And they're, they're, they're all saying, ah, you know, there, there's all these, there's all these thieves in the Rio Dulce, there's murders, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like when you, when you go to the next grade in school and the kids are telling you how, how awful it is. So, <laughs> so, we, so anyway, then we go to the Rio Dulce and, and we just loved it. And we met, um, well, actually before then we, we met this French family that had two kids. The parents spoke English, but the kids did not. And Kate spoke no French. Their names were Emily and Hugo. I think I might've changed them in the book, but she would talk to them like, you know, Emily, sit, Hugo, come, you know, like, like to a dog. And we were worried that their parents would, you know, take exception to that, but, the, but they were just so nice. And we, so we wound up sailing through Belize together and they were so much, so much, they'd crossed the Atlantic. They, they raced in ocean going sailing races. They were much more experienced uh, than we were. That was really wonderful for us to take advantage of their experience. And we wound up going to these little remote islands with them off of the Belize coast that were just some of the most magical moments on the voyage. When we got to the Rio Dulce, they had left already. We anchored overnight across from the, the sandbar that's in the entrance of the Rio Dulce. And you have to wait for the high tide to go across it. We had a, a, a deep draft. 
So, you know, we're, we're hesitating around the other side of the bar. And then we see them, we saw our friend's boat and they're, you know, gesturing us in and pointing to where the water was. And um, that was just so nice. And uh, so they were there while we were there. Unfortunately, a bunch of months later, after the hurricane and all that went on, we, we weren't as good friends anymore, but I, I think of them so fondly and mm. that whole experience. And we met other people as well that we're still in touch with. It was Hurricane Mitch that you weathered while you were in Real Dolce? Yes. yes. So John, um, John had a, we were both still working occasionally that helped us, um, um, you know, keep money for the cruising kitty and just keep our hand in. He had a business trip that for i think he was supposed to be gone a week so we were anchored no we were docked actually at this very rickety marina in the real dulce um rickety in the sense of uh you know you could you, you could put your finger on a piling and it just moved i mean it just would almost slant all the way toward the water and the docks needed repair but what it did have was a lot of protection it was in a lagoon and this there was a spit of land in front of it so it had a lot of protection from the river. Mm. I took him on a dinghy across uh, you know, with his briefcase and dropped him off. And he found this fisherman to take him to this little seaplane that was going to take him to Guatemala City so he could go to New York. And he, John just loved, loved that. <laughs> he loved he loved the idea of starting down this, from this lagoon in the Rio Dulce in his shorts and sandals and winding up in Manhattan in the afternoon at a meeting. You know, that that, that just part of his image of himself, I guess. And you're flying with this pilot who was iffy if you're even going to make it to Guatemala City. He, The only other time we'd seen the pilot was when he was drunk in the, you know, the bars in town. I so, honestly, Susan, was, was bracing myself at this part in the book because I thought, is John going to not make it? Like, is his plane yeah. going to go down? Yeah. And, you know, it was all part of the romance of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, um, I, I got back to the boat and a couple of days or a few days later was uh, near Halloween. And um, I was at dinner with our, our French friends. We noticed that some people were listening to the TV and weatherman report. And we're talking about this hurricane, Mitch, that's coming. I think at that point it was still it was maybe category one or something it was it was it wasn't strong. I, I was a little worried. I, I wanted John there, but I thought category one. We we had been um, in hurricanes in Connecticut that were you know uh, that category, and I knew that I, you know I felt that it would be okay. By the next day, you know, I take the dinghy across to the internet cafe, which is the only way to get on was the only way to get on the internet there. And by this time, the, the owner of the cafe, he's sitting there with this weather report and everybody is crowded around him and people are looking panicked. And it's now a category five. It's the oh. biggest, at that time, largest hurricane ever on record. And it was, and it wasn't clear where it was going. I mean, we felt we were protected up the river, but it it seemed like it was heading more towards us <laughs> than we had, than, than, than how it looked the evening before. You know, John's email was from the day before where he's saying, oh, you'll be fine, category one. <laughs> and I already knew it was much, much worse than that. <laughs> so, you know, I went back. And at that point, we yeah, there wasn't even any wind or anything yet. But the, the clouds were starting to get gray. And Kate wanted to play with, with this very good friend she'd made who was equally, you know, sardonic about the whole experience of the third world sailing. They were, they were the same age. <laughs> and so she was playing on their boat. 
across the river. And then the hurricane speeds up. First, I had to prepare the boat, you know, tying lines on and extra lines. And we had, I, I tied them uh, around the dock because every the, the cleats were so rickety. They just would, would <laughs> just lash yourself to the whole dock itself. <laughs> to the whole thing. Yeah. And um, I didn't take the, I didn't take the mainsail off, but because it would just been so heavy and I, I probably, I could have gotten help, but I just lashed it really tightly. I go to dinner with our French friends. And by now the rain is starting and it's getting really, really heavy. Kate is on the other boat, so um, across the river with her friend, and it's it's just it's it's getting heavy and, and and just increasing constantly. Just while we were even at dinner, so I get back to the boat and and you know talk to to Kate on the radio, and she was going to sleep over at the friend's house, and then that's when it just all all hit. It wasn't so much wind as as it wound up just being extremely heavy rain where we were. Hmm. And, and then by the next day, it had just flooded tremendously. I mean, you couldn't see the docks anymore. They were a few feet above the water. You couldn't see the the the, the shoreline at all. You, you saw, you know, windows and roofs and stuff. It turned out to be pretty devastating for uh, Central American countries where it went through, where, you know, thousands of people died. There were, you know, mudslides coming down the mountains so people lost their homes. I was scared, but um, I was just doing what I had to do, you know, starting the engine to charge everything up. I was gathering rain in our, in our rain catcher. Uh, yeah. Wow. And it was, I, I was really, I, I was really proud of myself because at the beginning of the voyage, I would never have anticipated that I could get through something like that. It was, the, the river was, was, I couldn't cross the river to get to Kate. She kept calling on the radio, sounding like I had abandoned her. Why can't you come get me? <laughs> I'd go out to, I'd go take the dinghy to the river and it was just like whooshing by with logs and there was a dead pig once and you know just wasn't something that I could have done so it was a couple days till I till I saw her it was Halloween by then and they had a since it has since it had died down they had a um, a Halloween party for the kids and even though there was still water at the docks we were all just so happy to get together and that we'd gotten through this and it was uh, another one of those evenings that was just kind of magical wow yeah an intense experience yeah yeah and not what i would expect would have expected of myself so it just kind of changed how i how i saw myself how did the whole journey overall change how you saw yourself and your relationship with john well when i started when we started the whole adventure of sailing you know before even this voyage my idea was john is the sailor he just adores sailing just let him sail. You know, I can just, he can sail me around. So that was kind of my idea. He could sail me around Long Island Sound. And then when we went off on this journey, well, he can sail me around the Caribbean, you know. And as we're sailing, John made it clear that he wanted me to be an equal partner. He wanted me to learn to dock the boat. He wanted me to be able to take over, you know, in in, in difficult circumstances. And I did step up some of the time and other times I would just freeze in fear. I'm not sure why, if something from my childhood, whatever, but at one time we were following our French friends into this remote harbor in a Belizean um, little island, and there was so much coral, and I, I just kind of panicked, thinking the coral was going to eviscerate the boat, and our, our friends are going along, you know, in front of us, our experienced friends, and John would say, where do I have to turn? And, you know, I, I just froze. I just couldn't tell him, and Kate actually was able calmly to tell him. <laughs> so after that, I was just 
I, I, it just really brought home to me. Um, I couldn't really be in denial anymore about, about it, that John needed my help and I needed to work on that so I could be more present in those circumstances. So I did. And it sounds like you did forge a real partnership. Yeah, we we really did. And I think that helped later when he got sick. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. You went through another journey with his cancer and dealing with that. And you write so lovingly about that through remissions and it coming back and through treatments. Um, again, you really had to step in and be partners on that. Yes. And I'm so grateful, you know, now to have had that experience, but at first, the way, the way it went was at first we were both of us thinking, cause he, he, he looked great. You know, how could he have stage four lung cancer is what we thought. <laughs> and, um, and we'd go to the hospital for his treatment or, or appointments. And, you know, there'd be people who looked so sick and gaunt and he looked great. So we made us think that, you know, he'd be okay. It was very hard for me to accept until the end that it was that what he had was terminal. When we, we went to our first appointment with, with the oncologist, you know, she, uh, whom John wound up just just loving this oncologist, and she said, "So John, how are you?" And I answered, "I said, oh, he's fine." And he looked at me like, "Don't answer for me." That was what it was in his look. And afterwards, he was just really mad. He said, "Don't do that." You know, it really took away his dignity. So I was like at first just going overboard, being like the caretaker. And maybe if I just got everything right, he'd get better or something. So I learned to, you know, uh, it it was really, you know, his experience and my experience. I, we, you know, to support each other, but it was very hard. It sounds to me as if writing this memoir has allowed you to go back and really think about so many aspects well, of your life, I mean, of the journey of your relationship with John, from little things, from answering for him in the doctor's office to uh, to storm, to weathering storms. At the time, I thought, I, I mean, I was such a different person from the one I was. Well, when we took the voyage, and then later when I when I began to write it, and you know, fifteen years later when I finally finished, and um, he was already he was gone. It was just really a privilege to be able to reflect on it. And as I was writing, I also really, I, I would have, I would have our logs. I actually put, took a log out because I knew I'd be talking to you because it reminds me of the boat. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'd have logs and, and pictures and just my journal and all, all those sorts of things. I felt like I was there and it, I was there with, you know, little Kate, who's now in her thirties, but there she was seven and saying, Oh, this is so boring. you know. <laughs> and there's, there's John, um, you know, trying to, try, trying to make every, you know, his, 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 his line was on, we go, we might be miserable. It might be raining, but we got to make it into port. You know, it just reminding me of all an Elmo or dog, just reminding me of all of that. So that was really kind of wonderful. And then, the reflection was I, what I realized was one of the reasons it took me so long to finish wasn't so much I couldn't write it as I hadn't myself grown enough to be able to understand what it really all meant to me. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of get to that understanding before I could finish the book. And what did it all mean to you? To me, it's really a story of our love. Like people have said, you know, how could you, how could you do that? You know, how could you go on 
next trip um, when you, I didn't really want to go. And um, I was terrified. And I went because I loved him so much. And I knew how important it was to him. It was his dream. And he had done so much to, to, to accomplish it, to even get to the point of where we could, where we could leave. Before I met John, I was, I was pretty timid and cautious. <laughs> Knowing John, someone like him, just helped me to think, oh, you know, so you can have a dream and you can accomplish it. And writing the book, in a way, is from that example. It, it, it taught me a lot. Well, thank you so much, Susan. This has been a fabulous conversation. I, I really enjoyed the book and I really enjoyed talking to you about it. Where can people find the book if they want to get a copy? Yes, um, they can find it on Amazon. That's probably just the easiest place to get it. It's called Holding Fast. You can order it from bookstores as well. And I have a website that's susan-cole.com. Thanks again, Susan. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. That wraps up the show for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can find me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or email me directly at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. I always love hearing from listeners, hearing what you like, hearing what I could be doing better, hearing who you might want to hear from on the show. I'm Ben Shaw, and as always, smooth sailing.